calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey! Yeah. We're back at it again this week, having some fun for our end of the week show. Uh, jumping in and uh, wait, stopping in and dropping in on a lot of subjects here in the world of geekdom. For sure, we're going to talk some fun conversations about some new trailers that dropped, some uh, updates on information on the Marvels. Uh, we're going to get into uh, a new segment that we got here on the show. And our main topic is going to be jumping into all the stuff that we got from that David S. Goyer interview that he did with Josh Horowitz on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. So there's a lot coming up, but let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see every weekend on YouTube new episodes of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, Season 3. There you go. And the way the show works is each of us brings up a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. Then take a break and talk our big geek news item. And that is, of course, the David Goy interview. For those of you who might be wondering, the strike is still going on. We were originally going to lead with the strike and talk about the strike, but it is still going on. Negotiations still happening on this Friday as we're recording. So maybe we'll have some news coming up later on today or this weekend about what's going on with the WGA strike, followed by the SAG after strike. We shall see. But that is not going to be the focus of the show because there's nothing new to really report at this time. So uh, let's get into my subject here, and that's Nia DaCosta. She is on the precipice of her film, The Marvels, coming out, the sequel to, of course, Captain Marvel. They made a billion dollars. They replaced the two directors there, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, with Nia DaCosta, and, and there's, she did a great interview in uh, Vanity Fair talking a little bit more about her process and how she came on to the project and what her thoughts are about what's going to happen and what she's preparing for with this project. She talked about how she's dealing with the possibility of some of the backlash and what have you because it's a diverse uh, cast and a three women leading this cast. And we saw what happened with Captain Marvel and the vitriol that spewed out of that and the hatred for Brie Larson. And she said that she's girding myself for it i'm a sensitive soul and i think maybe more of us uh i think maybe more of us are than we care to admit she's also the, the the first black female director to have the highest budget she's also the first black female director to open it number one ever with a uh, candy man interpretation and when she talked about working with kevin feige she said the over the overarching narrative is secondary to the narrative of the individual film so kind of clarifying that a little bit but she did say, it is a Kevin Feige production. It is his movie. So I think you live in the reality. Had I tried to go in with the knowledge that some of you is going to take a back seat, that's what you've got to do. But your name is on it. And she also said, I reached out to um, Destin Daniel Cretton, to Ryan Coogler, to Taika Waititi to help her through this whole process. And she says, you can't do anything but be yourself is what um, uh, Coogler told her. So bring that to the table. And she said they can choose to take some and leave some. 
but that's what your job is. So, Michael, a lot of interesting stuff that she's going into about the, this preparation. She also talks about her upbringing, her experience with all of this, and where she wants to go next as a director. But I thought it was a really nice interview. What did you think of the comments she had to make about Kevin Feige in the Marvel Universe working within it? And also what she's preparing for in terms of the backlash for this movie, possibly, that is on tap. Yeah, I thought it was a really lovely article. I thought, uh, you know, to me, as someone who works in the creative industry, I think the mo- the mo- the thing that I took away the most from it, and mm-hmm. I think the most valuable piece, even though it sounds so basic, is when Ryan Coogler just told her to be herself. And yeah, even yeah, she yeah. says in the article that when Ryan Coogler, she's like, what advice do you have? You've done this. You got what are you like Marvel. And he's like, hey, just be yourself. And she was like, that's it? That's what you got? <laughs> Like that's, that's all, but really that is the thing I think. And she, she mentions this, that so many times, and this is writers, directors, actors. I mean, this, this, you can apply to almost any part of not just the entertainment industry, but life in general, which is when you are up for some big job or you are going into interview or you're going out somewhere, you're going out on a date. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. There is this inherent desire. Like, well, what does this person want from me? What should I try to be to try and get this job, get this thing? Like, oh, I'm going in to interview for a Marvel movie, so let me be this. Let me try this. And that all you really have, and this is what Ryan Coogler said to her, like all you have at the end of the day is yourself. They're either going to hire you because of who you are, they're not, and that you can't control, but you can just go and be your authentic self. And I thought that was the best thing about the entire article because I like that hit me at a moment when I was reading it, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is true. Like, that's all you got like that's that and it's so hard for us in the creative industry to do that sometimes because you are second guessing yourself i don't know i guess i think this thing needs to be a little bit more this or a little bit more Mm. that or a little a little more serious a little less serious a little funnier so i thought that was really great um as far as like you know the way that marvel works i don't think there was any bombshells there like we've all known it's kevin feige's universe and directors have come and gone and some of them like playing in that Kevin Feige sandbox and have figured out ways to make their movies feel like their own. Um, Taika Waititi, James Gunn, Ryan Coogler, and some people like Edgar Wright with Ant-Man did not like playing in that sandbox and didn't want to do it. So I think, you know, what, what she kind of brought up this idea of coming in, knowing what you're in for, like you are in this bigger universe and there are certain things that you might want to do that don't ultimately end up happening in the service of this bigger tapestry that's being woven but still pieces of you are going to remain i think was smart um and look as far as the backlash i think she is i don't know that anybody doing anything in the era of social media and twitter and fandoms the way that they are Mm. goes in assuming they're not gonna get that you know i mean we've got articles right now we've got other youtube videos that do what we do talking about how ahsoka is garbage and it's ruined star wars and we've got barbie is too woke and we've got you know i mean honestly we have the strawberry shortcake cg specials coming out on netflix in a few weeks and all i hear when i go on the comments is bring back the old strawberry shortcake why did you ruin strawberry short i mean it doesn't (laughs) on any level of fandom you are going to get this and it and she is right. We all more we are all more sensitive than yeah. uh, we would like to tell the world that we are. And hearing that about stuff that you put uh, your time and energy into sucks. Yeah. And so you do have to sort of prepare. And she's absolutely right. You've got a a Marvel movie coming out that uh, in an era where what she didn't say in the article, but I think is also true. You have a Marvel movie coming out in an era where the luster is off of Marvel and people mm. are not as happy with Marvel as they've been. Yeah. And we keep waiting for every new movie and Marvel TV show to be the thing that brings us back. So there's an extra level of pressure. And on top of that, the Captain Mar- the first Captain Marvel movie, not many people's top movie, even if you right. like Carol Danvers and you like Brie Larson. And now you have a movie coming out that's Brie Larson uh, and... Um, Taona Paris. Yeah, Taona Paris and... Um, and Thank you. I'm like, I, I just keep wanting to call them like by their character names, but like, yeah, you've got a Muslim, you've got a black character, a white, a white woman, a black woman and a Muslim woman. Like yeah. it's literally a recipe for Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now to explode. Yeah. So yeah. she is wise to uh, be ready for that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a weird time. I saw it because the budget also came out that initially in the Vanity Fair article, they said the budget was $130 million. 
But then they took that down out of the article, and Forbes did a new report saying that budget is $274.8 million for this movie with a $55 million subsidy from the UK, which brings the total back down to 219.8. And they're estimating it has to make anywhere between 500 and 600 million dollars for it just to break even. So that's a hell of a task on top of the possibility of backlash as we've seen so many YouTube channels live off fabricating this hatred and anger and nonsense uh, towards uh, diversity and what have you. So what are your thoughts on her comments here and, and the budget stuff as well. I mean, in terms of the budget, I mean, if you watch those trailers, forget about forget about the content, about, about the story and how you yeah. feel about Brie Larson as, as Carol Danvers. In terms of the visuals, that money looks like it's up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, we're, see- we're seeing the exact things that they want us to see for the marketing. So right. is there a possibility that the things that end up making it in the movie that weren't in the trailers aren't looking so great yeah it's certainly possible um but you know they're they're the 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 ding that marvel has gotten for some of their effects work recently uh a lot with the disney plus shows but also with uh, uh quantum mania also with uh, love and thunder um i think those concerns were heard mm-hmm. and that hopefully those have been rectified. Now, obviously, that is none of that's going to fall on Nia DaCosta. I mean, as, as yeah. a director coming into Marvel, there are there are things in your control and there are things aren't in your control. And my my guess, and again, I've not been in that room, so I can't say for sure, but my guess is the effects, that's not really on the director. That <laughs> yeah. this is all kind of done, you know, either before they come on or, or it's being done kind of separately. Um so I do think the fact that she's just kind of like, look, this is a this is a Kevin Feige movie. Like I I was hired to come in and play for a little bit, but as Vogel said, like there are certain directors that have come into that into that universe and been able to kind of have a more unique look. When you think mm-hmm. about the Kuglers, when you think about the Guns, when you think about Taika Waititi, um, more with Ragnarok, less than Love and Thunder. <laughs> um, but so I I do think it's very aware of her like Mm. look this is this is what we were getting into and also when she was announced as director this was still in that heyday this is still in that time of everything is great everything is awesome um so the pressure that she's probably facing is unfair because Mm. the things that played out i mean that movie was going to get made the way it was going to get made i mean you know forget about forget about the reaction to some of the more recent marvel projects um but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think she's probably, she seems to be very, very well aware. Now, in terms of the backlash, is there going to be? Yeah, of course. You know, you've got, you've got three women leading, leading this type of movie and the sort of um, impatient uh, fan base that is, that is a small part of this fan base. They are very, yeah. very vocal. Um, but, but I like to think that it is a smaller part. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to have an issue with this right off the bat. Now, I think, I think you can have legitimate uh, uh, criticism mm. of some of Brie Larson's performance, um, you know, based off of Endgame and based off of uh, the first movie. And, you know, we discussed, like, it seemed like the directors do work with the actors and those directors and, and uh, Brie Larson, they, they didn't really seem to, they didn't really seem to nail it. Yeah. Um, you know, granted she was an in game, her, her, her screen time was, you know, a lot less, but I think people did like her in in game a little bit more. So mm-hmm. hopefully Nia DaCosta and Brie Larson were able to connect on who this character is, where they where they want to take this character, along with Amon Vellani and along with Teona Paris. Now, you know mm. there there have been some rumors that that, that it was a, that it was a difficult movie to make, and like all these movies are hard, Be, mm. a, a, especially when you're kind of um, in a little bit of a deficit in terms of the goodwill with your fans. Um, but hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, you know they they you know they nailed this one. Um, you know, them picking Nia DaCosta, you know, just based off her Candyman movie. Like, again, I'm yeah. not I'm not a horror guy. Um, that Candyman movie was a really well told movie. So yeah. hopefully, even though it is a Kevin Feige movie, they let her they let her do her thing. Yeah, because uh, I think what she said is really telling when she said it's still my name on the movie. And I think that's an important part of it all. There's a sense of ownership, even though Feige's the overall uh, guy probably steering the entire ship. Her section of the ship is hers. And so I like that there's an element of that here. Listen, this uh, this uh, interview was really great. I thought she came off as someone, as a, she's a young director too. 
Let's put that in the equation. This is still a person who's up and coming, being handed something this massive. Uh, and uh, I think it's great to see that she's got that confidence and got that strength and belief in herself to want to do these things. I mean, she's going off to do an adaptation of Hedda Gobbler. Who the hell's uh, asking for that? But she wants to find something in a classic tale that she can modernize and have fun with. Yeah. Be, you be careful. That Hedda Gobbler fandom is going to come for you. Yeah. Right. Right. There's I'm all three of them. That. All three of them heard what you said and they are coming for you, John. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, hashtag not my shortcake. I'm still caught up on that. But anyway, <laughs> this, is, this is so weird to me at that kind of level. But no, but I, you know, but again, but I think she had, and, and this is what's happening now is like, I love that there are directors and diverse directors who are a part of the MCU universe that other directors coming in can rely on for advice or can reach out to or can, you know, it's great to have that kind of community that you can navigate this and might help you. Uh, answer some questions. And she said this set was a much more respectful set than the set she had on Candyman, which is really shocking because Jordan Peele is the executive producer. You imagine a lot of black people were hired to work with her on that set. So you'd imagine it's a different set, but she's saying that that set wasn't as respectful to her as this set here. So clearly there are differences in the machine and how you approach smaller films versus larger films, the oversight of those kinds of things. So I think that's a positive thing to hear about as well, because as Shannon alluded to, we've been hearing a lot of rumors that there was issues behind the scenes on that set. So, you know, just throwing that out there. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, actually let's move on, uh, Shannon, to your stuff. You got some trailers to throw on to us. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, some trailers, 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 because the last one's really tiny. Uh, the first one, we're going to start with our first trailer. This is something that Johnny actually sent out on our group thread. <laughs> a trailer for a Netflix film called Old Dads. This one stars Bill Burr, uh, Booking Woodbine, and Bobby Cannavale. Um, so this just looks like a fun throwback comedy. What do you do when you have a child later in life? Um, when you when you are an when you are an older parent and you look at the way how, how a lot of uh, parental changes have happened very very rapidly if you're if you're an older parent uh, um, you, you're you, you may have skipped a little bit of a generation and you're <laughs> in this whole other new world I thought this trailer was so so funny um, again it, it Netflix films have have a bit of a spotty track record, um, but I thought this one looked really really funny. I, I love I love the trio of Bill Burr, Bobby Cannavale, and Bokeem Woodbine. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Let's go let's go to our our resident old dad over there, How Johnny Roca. What did you think of our first look at old dads? Well, I sent it to you guys because I said this is the Geek Buddies. If one of us ever has a child, and to me this is. I love this. I thought it was very funny. It poked fun at the right things. Listen, we can have the right. How can I say this? We can have our opinions on the right way to behave in the new world and being progressive and having, you know, all these kinds of things. But we can't be so sensitive that we can't also find the humor in that and make fun of it, because that's kind of the core of comedy is to make fun of these things that are that seem to come off a little rigid or a little bit judgmental. And I think that's fun to explore in a film like this. I liked the trailer. I wanted to love the trailer. I didn't love the trailer. I liked it for sure. And it reminded me of King of Staten Island. You know, Bill Burr is, is great at playing these kinds of characters. He's really good in King of Staten Island. Also, slamming up against a younger generation guy in Pete Davidson and his approach to the world versus his older man approach to the world. And you see that here, the back and forth with him and Rachel Harris, who I love and I just want in everything, is hilarious. But then, you know, the young guy going like um, that final joke when he's like, uh, we're listening to three white men. And they're like, wait, isn't he white? I'm confused. So this <laughs> kind of stuff I think is very funny and we should be able to poke fun of it and still not like undercut that, that there is a point of view that I think is valid in our world about respecting each other. So to me, I like that it, it kind of walked that line. Also, Bokeem Woodbine has looked 30 years old for about 40 fucking years. It's insane to me. I think he's 75 and he's playing this guy who's 40. I've seen Bokeem since the 80s and he looks the fucking same. Incredible to see. So I don't know whatever he's doing, but he should come out with a video on TikTok for his skincare regimen because it is out of control. It's beyond it's beyond black don't crack. It's beyond it, for God's sakes. And I need to find out. So, all right, that's my thought. He, he literally walked off the set of The Rock to the set yes. of Old Dad. <laughs> he looks the same. 
It's insane. Like, kind of did. <laughs> what did right? you think? Also, this was written and directed by Bill Burr as well. This is his oh, wow. feature film that. directorial okay. debut. Mikey, what'd wow. you think? Um, I agree. Like, I think it, I think it was very funny, and I do think the whole culture wars, identity politics area is just rife for humor if done yeah. right. Because I do think that. As much as, and look, the three of us are all pretty progressive, and I think a lot of our listeners are on the more progressive side, not all of them, but like I think that, <laughs> I think true. that we are on the more progressive side. So obviously, we think that a lot of the stuff that gets said on the right when it comes to going woke or, you know, why did you politicize this, like is, is silly. But if we're being honest, on the far left, there's some silly stuff yes. too. Like there, yes. it all kind of gets so ridiculous at a point. And so, a movie that allows us to sort of take a step back and be like, let's let's all let's all just laugh at like as we are navigating all of these things that we've never navigated before. Let's take a minute and laugh at it too, because there are some things that are pretty funny. And I think this movie has the potential to do it. That being said, um, <laughs> Bill Burr, not known for subtlety. <laughs> no, very true. Very true. Not known for subtlety. So the Bill Burr written, directed, and starring in vehicle is this the is this the Netflix movie that's going to walk that fine line and find that nuance of humor? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to. Um, we will see. But yes, it did yeah. look funny. I I have a forever crush on Bobby Cannavale, so uh, oh. I'll watch it just for that. Like I've had a crush on him, and I think I will until I'm dead. So, well, we will get to find out about the nuance of Bill Burr, the skin care regime of Bokeem Woodbine, <laughs> and the eternal crush of Bobby Cannavale <laughs> by Mike Vogel on October twentieth when nice. Old Dads comes out on Netflix. So that brings us to our the second trailer. For The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, as someone who only saw, I think, the first two movies, um, this one doesn't hold a lot of weight for me. But you can't deny the production value that that does appear to be up on screen here. I mean, they have a banger cast with Peter Dinklage, Viola Davis. I mean, it just looks... It, it looks very, very epic. And I didn't realize this until today when I was looking it up on IMDb. The runtime, according to IMDb, is two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. So that's a lot of that's a lot of songbirds. That's a lot of snakes. Uh, but gentlemen, I will throw it over to you. Mikey, why don't you take it away? Take it away. What do you think of our second look of the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? I... It's a, it's a tough one. Like, I mean, look, I think that... And we talked about this, I think, when the first trailer came out. I think by the end of the hunger games movies i think everybody was kind of like okay the hunger games books and the hunger games movies to me had the same trajectory hunger games the book came out and everybody was like holy shit have you read this second book came out you're like man this is really great and that third book came out and you were like okay that was the end and i think the movies kind of did the same thing so with this one it's like already you have sort of a a a you know sci-fi universe in the in the YA world that got moved into movies that I think people kind of got to the end of it and were like, all right, okay, cool. And now we have this prequel that is like, let's tell you the sympathetic story of Donald Sutherland's character. And you're like, I don't know that I, that he's not Anakin Skywalker. He's not Darth <laughs> Vader. Like, I don't know that I need to know how he became the piece of shit that he became in the Hunger Games movies. Like, I don't know that I'm really, like, dying to know that story. So I think that's sort of an uphill battle for me on on the offset. Now, look, amazing cast. Production value looks fantastic. Like, it looks like a gorgeous movie. Like, both from, like, just the way it's shot, the effects, like, everything about it. It has this this idea of seeing sort of the um, the technological level of this world a generation or, you know, a, gener- a couple generations before we get to Hunger Games. It's interesting. Like, so I think there's some interesting stuff there, but it's really hard to, it's really hard to gauge if there is interest in this movie or not. I was watching a trailer um, with one of our friends and he kind of was like, yeah, I didn't really, I think I watched the first movie. I didn't see the others, but this does look kind of interesting. Like there's, it's, it's teetering on the edge and I can't mm. tell if there is interest or non-interest. It's right there. And then I think, 
what's interesting, and this is going to be the real telling thing, is when you have a movie like this that feels like it's teetering right on the edge of maybe people are interested, maybe they're not, and right. then you throw the Rachel Ziegler everything on top of that, yeah, it gets really dicey because she is – you know, and just some of it, I think, is blown out of proportion. Some of it is her being young and not uh, nailing it in some of her interviews. But she yeah. is in this precarious spot where she has sort of become the latest uh, uh, ground zero for a lot of these discussions about what's wrong with movies today and everything else with all the Snow White stuff. So is that going to bleed into this? Is that not like it, it's it's just right. This movie is right on the precipice because there's so many things about this trailer that you're like, yeah, actually, I'm kind of interested. But there's just a couple things on the other side of the scale that make you go, hi, it, it, it this one could either come out and actually do surprisingly well. And everyone's like, oh, I guess there is still some interest in the Hunger Games or it could come out and drop like the flash and everyone's going to go like, oh, yeah, OK, well, that was that. Johnny, how hungry are you for a Hunger Games prequel? <laughs> Yeah, like you, uh, Shannon, I saw the first two movies and I heard terrible things about the next two, The Split, and so I never watched them. And it probably felt like Jennifer Lawrence was, you know... At some point, Jennifer Lawrence, I think, realized, like, I I gotta get out of these movies. I'm way better than these movies. And it it came through in the end of The Hunger Games and end of the X-Men stuff. Um, So I was a little bit like, "Eh, do we need this? But I like Rachel Zegler, and I know she has some missteps on the red carpet, and I totally understand that but everybody criticizing her what stupid shit did you say when you were 20 years old or 22 years old so it's a matter of like having perspective. I have a whole list of the things you said yeah true well you know let's let's not open that door but yeah th- those things are there of the stuff that we, you didn't even know me when i was 20 you said, you know. but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a door because it's an entire room of stuff <laughs> I got I got boxes and boxes. I got files. Oh no, it files. Uh, there's no there's no files. Uh, anyway, um, but I I liked this actually. I, I, I yeah, I don't have as much of a negative a- attachment to Coriolana Snow as as other people might who are deep into these books. So I come from a different point of view than the people who are that way. So for me, I kind of liked it. I like Tom Blythe as an actor, and I think they had genuine chemistry in the trailer. And uh, Francis Lawrence coming back, it seems like he's re-inspired by this franchise to tell this story. Like, this story re-inspired him to come back to the franchise. Whereas David Yates, I felt, was like on fumes doing Fantastic Beasts. (laughs) This actually feels like there's some real artistry (laughs) and a different perspective here. And I like it. And he said that he's trying to make Lucy Graybeard a a more sexual character. So I got a little of that in the trailer, but not a lot. Rachel's not really in it that much. And I think they did that on purpose because of the red carpet interviews. And we're focusing much more on Viola Davis. So, I mean, why wouldn't you, an Oscar nominated actress and the strength and power that Viola Davis has and Dinklage a little bit. So I like that they went that route to kind of show you, this is a movie that's going to have some extra weight to it with the people involved. Aside from your main actors, there are other people involved who are really bringing a lot of, um, uh, layered work to what they're doing so for me overall visually incredible liked the chemistry of the two main characters and then getting these actors overall to be a part of it makes me kind of excited to see the movie i don't know if i'm two hours and 45 minutes excited but i'm certainly <laughs> excited so yeah do you think viola davis was more excited eating steak as amanda waller or getting to like put in those crazy contacts and wacky hair and like doing what she did in this trailer because like i was like like viola davis is so good and she does i mean she can kind of do anything but i just think of her like in the suicide squad just like chomping on that steak in those scenes and then i see her in this and i'm like there's certain things where she's like i'm just gonna fucking go for it she's got a nick cage gear there's no doubt about it she's one of these great great actors that has a nick cage gear because you look at Woman King, and that's one of the most incredible performances she's ever delivered. And then you see her in something like this, and you're like, oh, she's just having some fun with some craziness yeah. here. So <laughs> I like that she has that aspect to her, for sure. Because I also think that's an element of what she brings to anything she acts in, is this certain edge and craziness just bubbling below the surface at any moment. And you can mm-hmm. see that in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as well. Like, she is combustible in that film, you know? So, yeah. Well... 
The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes comes out November 17th. Speaking mm. of Nick Cage, it brings us to our next trailer <laughs> with a trailer for the film called Dream Scenario. This is an A24 film, you know, on the heels of everything, everywhere, all at once. A24 is really riding this wave of just critical and box office acclaim. Um, maybe they're going to be the one that finally pushes Nick Cage fully through the Nick Cage renaissance that we've been getting the past few years. Um, this one, really, really interesting comedy about a hapless family van finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. That's pretty much what we get in the trailer. And it's not just him popping up in people's dreams. It's the way in which, which he pops up in people's mm. dreams. I thought this one looked so interesting so funny uh johnny you were the one that brought our attention to it why don't you take it first what do you think of our first look at dream scenario yeah he's got two coming out right uh soon butcher's crossing and dream scenario which are two completely different movies but they're both getting a lot of buzz coming out of festivals so i'm really we're in a i think we're in a third wave of a cage here to reappreciate nick cage all over again and so i'm excited and i like this trailer and it's it's a great commentary uh, that is um, resonant with us today, the idea of instant fame. What happens to you when you have instant fame? I was reading an article before we started our show today about this woman who won the $70 million lottery in Michigan. And apparently there are rules that you have to divulge your identity if you win the lottery that is a cross-state lottery, like multiple states are involved. But if you're a state lottery, like just the Michigan state lottery, you don't have to reveal your name. So there's these regulations. So this idea of instant fame overnight, what happens to you? People were using her identity to fleece other people on Facebook. So this idea of wh what's the responsibility, what comes with it. And so it, to find this in an accidental way that all of a sudden people are having a communal experience of dreaming about you and then it becomes nightmarish, the dreams. I think this is a commentary on how we build people up who come out of nowhere and then eventually try to find a way to chop them down. So you find that in this trailer, I think, which is, which is an interesting comedy and commentary and how you react to it when you become instant famous. Do you say all the right things? Do you take advantage? Because it seems like he's maybe having an affair on Julianne Nicholson in the, in, the, in the trailer. So what do you do when instant fame comes to you and what's your responsibility for all of that? So I think, I think a lot of that is working here. Uh, as well and the fear of not being cool anymore or suddenly discovering that you're cool what happens to you how do you change so yeah i like the uh, overall and you know cage having fun in a scenario like this just makes all the sense in the world mikey what'd you think well nicholas cage does not look like he just stepped off the rock and stepped into the movie uh, <laughs> he has he is he is uh but i will say that it, lo it looks like the rock it looks like the rock stepped off him <laughs> But I have enjoyed, uh, I have enjoyed watching Nicolas Cage grow into this era of, uh, of just weird shit. Like he's really yeah. sort of just gracefully stepped into, hey, these are the kind of movies I want to make. And this one is a weird one. Like mm. it, it, it is very much an A24 trailer. Like just the whole concept of it is so wild. But what I love about uh, some of the A24 movies is wild concept, but very simple. Like, this isn't confusing, kind of to Shannon's point. Like, he's kind of a schlub. Everybody's dreaming about him. It gets weird. Let's yeah. see what yeah. happens. Like, that's that's yeah. the movie. And and so it's a although it's a really weird concept, it's very clear, very direct. And yeah, like, and I don't know. And it's definitely a star vehicle for Nicolas Cage. Like, this is a movie mm. where it all hinges on that person. Like, if you had had a different person in the lead showing up in people's dreams, you'd be like, okay, that's interesting. But something about that weird thing that we all have about Nicolas Cage makes it, yeah, Nicolas Cage is showing up in people's dreams. Mm. Yeah, that tracks. I want to see this movie. Like, it just, <laughs> it works. And by the end of that trailer, you know, it kind of, when you watch the trailer, it starts with him sort of just showing up in dreams and by the end of it <laughs> yeah he's doing more than show up in only a way that nicholas cage could and i'm like yeah no no we're going we're going to the theater to see that one so i'm uh this is out of all the trailers we looked at for this week this is the one that i'm the most excited about agreed this one comes out november 22nd and our last teeny tiny trailer is for fargo season five you know this uh, no holly has done something really really fun here that he 
might be in danger of losing after season four. Just these uh, small town crime anthologies. They take place in different different periods of time. Uh, the first three seasons, so, so good. Uh, that fourth season really took a nosedive. But yeah. season five has uh, Juno Temple, John Hamm, and Joe Keery. This one takes place in North Dakota in 2019. Uh, all we get from the, this teaser is Juno Temple with a very, very thick North Dakota accent, um, reaching, talking with someone on the phone and reaching in and pulling out a gun. That's, that is the extent of it. Uh, but gentlemen, what did you think? Judy, Juno Temple, gun, Fargo. Mikey, take it away. I mean, I don't really keep up with Fargo. It looks cool. <laughs> like, it's like, Johnny? <laughs> like, like that's it. But it's, yeah, that's it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like I, sure, maybe, maybe I'll watch it. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, as you said, Shannon, season four was just a debacle on so many levels. Chris Rock seemed to be a little bit out of his element for a majority of it. But Jesse Buckley did her best, and she was really scary in that. But there wasn't enough to counter on the other side to make it as interesting as it should have been. So this feels like Noah's going back to what really people really liked about the first few seasons of uh, Fargo. Some, some uh, regular person who has this other... Uh, just matter of fact approach to violence and what she needs to do in certain situations because she doesn't just pull a gun. She also has a taser. So she is covered on all levels of what she needs to do, but she's also making sure the sauce is all right before she walks out. So there is, I like that mixture of the fact that this is all just a matter of fact way of life type of thing. So it just feels like this trailer teases that we're going back to the real um, thing that made it work from the beginning uh, in his approach. So yeah, it makes me excited. I, I'm not on the John Ham train anymore, so we'll see how he does. But, you know, I like Juno Temple a lot. So, All right. Fargo comes out November 21st on FX. All right. There we go. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into a fun new segment we're going to do on the show here every once in a while. And then uh, we'll jump into our main topic as well right after this. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. What's what's new, Pussycat? Because it's a new oh, segment. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, we have a new segment. Uh, so, yeah, we were talking, uh, you know, sometimes we do Geek Buddies and, like, we have so much to talk about. And sometimes you're like, okay, like, it's not, not a ton of stuff this week. Uh, but you know what? We're all geeks and we're always talking about stuff. And sometimes we end up talking so much about the Star Wars and the Marvels and the big things that we miss some of the little things that we're geeking out about. So now we have a brand new segment called... What Damn. we're geeking out on. Oh, here we go. Um, so yeah, uh, in addition to all the stuff that we cover every week and the shows that are dropping on Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and Prime and everything else, uh, gentlemen, what little other aspects of the world of geek are you currently geeking out on? Let's start with uh, Mr. McClung. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I've been watching, I, I just finished last night, um, the new season of Project Greenlight on Mac. Yeah. So this one was called Project Greenlight, A New Generation. Uh, for those of you that remember, this started in the early 2000s with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck trying to give a, a, uh, a filmmaker who was not in the industry the opportunity to make their movie. They'd give them a million dollar budget. Um, they've done four seasons now. I want to say the third season maybe went to Bravo. Um, none of these movies ever turn out well, um, but, but you do see a fascinating look into the process of making a movie, even if this particular process is a little more, a little more accelerated and very unconventional, uh, for this new season, uh, Issa Rae and her production company who Ray productions actually took it over along with uh, fellow mentors, Kumail Nanjiani and Gina Prince-Bythewood. And this uh, whole season is all about finding 
they're, they're going to find the first female director because Project Greenlight and it's in its four seasons, they've never had a female director. So they that is their that is their uh, goal right from the beginning is we're going to find it. We have a script. We're going to do a genre script on a very, very low budget. And we're going to find a female director. And these 10 episodes have been fascinating. Again, I think with all five seasons of Project Greenlight, in my opinion, they do not set these people up to succeed. <laughs> and this season is no different. Um, the the winner, who I will not d- divulge the name of the winner, just in case you want to go and watch it. Um, the winner, uh, uh, th- they basically give her a script that like, hey, this is what you're doing. There's a lot of problems and we got to shoot in seven weeks. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there's some like the, 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 the novice director does not always make all the best decisions. Um, but I feel like there's way more bad decisions made on the executive side. Um, and the great thing about this, uh, this particular season, as soon as I finished uh, episode 10, uh, I was able to go and watch the movie right there on max. And I'm about halfway Ooh. through it. And of the five Project Greenlight movies, I've only seen three of them. I didn't see the Wes Craven season. They did a horror season. I didn't see that one. But of the of the three that I've seen previously, based off the first half of this movie, this one is by and large way better cool. than those other three. Despite the fact that, like, yes, this is a lower budgeted film in a in a genre story. So, you know, you really have to stretch those dollars. So this could absolutely fall apart in the last half. But I was uh, very, very impressed with what that novice director was able to accomplish. That's cool. All right. All right. Uh, Johnny. Okay. So I'm going to reveal something really uh, big for me. And um, some of you may have, or who follow me on my channel may already know my obsession. You can call it geeking out on if you want with drama. And I love the tea. <laughs> I love the spilling of the tea. I love all this shit. Uh, And I love to watch other people fuck up something that I used to fuck up on. And so I am supremely obsessed with the Love is Blind reality show. And I have watched, I mean, my girlfriend will tell you, my partner, sorry, will tell you the new season starts today. When a new season drops on Netflix, I am like, um, I don't know, a cat stepping on electricity. Like, I am just completely freaking out, waiting to start. I make her power through the first few episodes whenever they come out. She's like, I have to go to bed. I have to go to bed. And I I suck her in because she loves the drama as much as I do. And I've watched every season. I've watched all the reunion specials multiple times. I've watched YouTube videos on breaking down the analysis. There is a psychiatrist who breaks down every episode, who's licensed in Seattle, and he talks very calmly. He's not judgmental, but he's very calm in analyzing their reactions to things and why they're doing certain things. It's a very unique reality show. It works despite uh, Vanessa Nicolache's stupidity. It works despite them, and I really love it because it also is an exploration of what you're like when you're younger and pursuing love. And I know I was a guy who was desperate to find a girl and find somebody to be with. And I went through some terrible relationships. Most of it, my fault, some of it, their fault until I found some therapy and got to, I mean, the single guy doing that face, the, then I found some therapy and figured my shit out. And when I figured my shit out, I was able to find someone like my partner now who've had to go through her own shit and figure her shit out. So for us, it's marveling at the decisions these people are making in these situations but also remembering the stupid shit we did at that age in those situations. And so it's just fascinating, a human, what do you call it? Human study. It's a fascinating thing for me and I love it. And I love the tea and the drama and the dirt and all the TikTok videos and everything. So I geek out on that shit way more than I should. And to find out this week that Jackie and Josh broke up, no surprise. And so to me, I am like <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Uh, and I have my, and I'm ne- I'm almost never wrong about which relationships succeed and which of them eventually fall apart. Uh, watching this stuff, so it it just tickles a lot of my in my curiosity, my intelligence, and my experience with relationship therapy as well to uh, kind of look at all of this and analyze it. So yeah, crazy crazy addict to this stuff. The curiosity what season is this, and, John? Uh, 
This is five, season five. Season five, out. okay. Yeah, it's, in, it's out of DC this this season. So yeah, gotcha. Curiosity and experience, I I will give you intelligence. You know, uh, it's love is blind. It's love is blind. <laughs> but uh, but like, okay, okay, that is not where I thought you were gonna go today, and uh, I am oddly curious to watch Love Is Blind now just to see. You've never, uh, you've never I seen. I watched. I think I maybe watched like the first season. Oh my. I, I yeah. you of all people who have lived through the travails of our entire group of friends, this is essentially that for God's sake. Oh, I was gonna say I I've I was been I've been right by your side through several of those relationships. That Not, you just went through. Not just my side. Not just my side. I've never done I've never made a poor decision. No, no, I'm saying like the other all of our friends have had some interesting experiences that we've sure, all sure. lived through. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. But I've been <laughs> but I've been real close to listen, the Love is Blind reality series is 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 really something. But if I if I had been smarter when we were younger and oh. had just bought a camcorder and just recorded the John Roca mm. roommate reality series. Oh yeah, man. It would have oh. been uh it would have been yeah. a sight to behold. It would have been we, something special. We would have made money hand over fist. If we yeah, it would have been good. We, we should have done that thing where like where they like we just set up cameras and yes. just like, charged people to like just watch oh. what was happening. It would have been oh. good. So um well mine is not as exciting as Love is Blind, uh, <laughs> given John Roca's pitch, but I actually um one of my favorite uh sci-fi series uh one of the series that's come out in the past several years that i think is one of the greatest series i've ever read on the level of how i feel about star wars and harry potter and the mcu mm. uh it's pierce brown's red rising series mm. um it's far off it's far off in humanity's future uh it is it the first book centers on a character named darrow who works in the mines of mars um and it is an epic sci-fi saga that is touches on a lot of the same elements that we love in like the 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 hero's journey it's gladiator it's hunger games it's star wars it's all the things mm. kind of wrapped up into this epic series and the first trilogy was uh, red rising golden sun and morning star and then um pierce brown did a second series that takes place about a generation later which is iron gold dark age and the newest book lightbringer has just recently come out so it's a double whammy so a i was very excited about this book and i will tell any any of you who are listening who you obsess about the mcu you love star wars but you're like ah star wars i want something new like just go order Red Rising by Pierce Brown right now. Do you will right not now. be disappointed in it. But the other part that's been really enjoyable is, you know, they, there's a couple of years between books. Obviously, he's got to write them. And they are very dense. And there are a ton of characters. It is a very wide-ranging world. And so what happens is when you've waited a little bit and you come back into these books and they pick up right where the last book left off, you kind of dive in and you're like, I don't. I don't remember a goddamn thing that happened in that last. Like, what, where, why are we, what's happening? What's happening right now? So a friend of mine recommended this. I went and downloaded the previous book, Dark Age, on Audible. And it's about 30 hours, but it is spectacular. So not only do I, I'm, I'm re-listening to the last book to kind of gear myself up to dive right back into Lightbringer, but the, the actors and actresses they have reading these characters for the Audible thing, like sometimes you get a book on tape and you're like, ah, really wish this person wasn't reading it. For each character, each different character in the chapters, they have a different actor or actress reading those parts. And oh, it's wow. just gorgeous, wonderfully performed. It's amazing. So I'm kind of in the thick of it right now because I am listening to Dark Age, just tearing through it. Like I said, it's about 30 plus hours and I think I have six hours left and I'm tearing through it as fast as I can, listening to it at any moment. Like I'm cooking in the kitchen, I'm like putting in Dark Age so that I can dive into Lightbringer hopefully this weekend. But I was just talking to some friends about it. And like I said, I mean, I think a few of my favorite things in life are, I love Star Wars. I love Avatar The Last Airbender. Despite what has happened to her and where we are now, like the journey of Harry Potter, uh, when those books came out, I loved that. And Red Rising to me is all of those things plus in an epic sci-fi series that is just gonna blow you away. So that is my recommendation for all of you is to go buy Red Rising today and start reading it. What's the order, Red Rising? Red Rising. Yeah. Golden Sun and Morningstar is the first trilogy. Okay. That honestly, 
like I, I bought Red Rising and well, the true, true story is I bought Red Rising and I read like the first chapter and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I'm into it. And I put it down. And yeah. about six months later, my brother picked up the book. And two days later, he was like, you read this? And I was like, no, he's like, I just finished it. I'm like, what? And then I went back to it and I didn't leave my house that weekend. Like wow. I, I did nothing. Okay. Like I didn't watch TV. I did. I laid on the couch and read that book. And I tore through that trilogy in like maybe a week and a half. Um, so it's it's high highly could not higher recommend a book series than Pierce Brown's Red Rising series. Vogel okay. gave me the the first one, yeah. and I got so into as I was finishing book one, I had to pull my car over, and I just found a metered spot and read the last five chapters because I was so into it. <laughs> All right. Well, they're all available on Amazon. I I can get them overnight by eight a.m. tomorrow. So I will. I'm ordering the first three books. I need. Okay. When I tell you that you will, you're gonna enjoy it. Lose really? your shit okay. over this main character. You are gonna all lose right. your shit. All right. It's ordered. So there you all go. Right. That is our first segment of what we are geeking out about. Uh, let us know in the comments what you're geeking out about too, and let everybody else know. And let's all uh, let's all share a little bit of geek love of the stuff that we don't usually get to talk about. It's true. Wait, that, that, was wrong, that music but... is plucky. <laughs> it's plucky is what it is. It's plucky. I like um, it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, we got what? Five minutes, six minutes. Uh, it's okay. Wait, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Are you sure? Oh, okay. All yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Shannon, uh, let's move on to our main uh, geek news item. Shannon's going to take it away and lead us through this. What do you got? So one of the fantastic things about the day and age we live in with podcasts and with social media is that you can have access to some of your favorite writers, some of your favorite creators, and you can hear about the things that almost happened, that didn't quite make it to the finish line. And that is what happened when uh, David Goyer gave an interview to Josh Horowitz on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. Uh, he was out promoting the second season of Foundation, which is his Apple Plus show. Um, and he touched upon a few of the things that... Uh, one of the things that almost happened and, and sort of like not some regrets, but just kind of uh, uh, the real the real truth and how some things were uh, how some things uh, panned out. So I will just read both of these quotes. Um, at one point, he was writing a script for Guillermo del Toro that would have been a Star Wars film. Uh, it was done about four years ago. He says it's a cool script. Um, separately, he also wrote a scriptment for an Origins of the Jedi film that would have been set 25,000 years before the events of the Skywalker saga. Mm -hmm. That kind of puts it in line with what James Mangold is doing with his Dawn of the Jedi film. Um, after he gave this interview, uh, del Toro... Uh, on social media, Guillermo del Toro confirmed saying, yeah. true, can't say much, maybe two letters, J and BB. Is that three letters? So as of right now, neither one of them are connected to Star Wars. But you hear one of these things that that almost could have maybe almost happened. And he also talked about uh, how the DCEU that is coming to a close this December, uh, this December with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, how it kind of came about um, that, you know, he and Christopher Nolan had worked on Man of Steel that Zack Snyder went on to direct. And apparently Josh Horowitz in the interview basically said that uh, they should have developed a direct standalone to Man of Steel with Henry Cavill instead of attempting to rush through a cinematic universe with BVS. And how Goya responded was, I know the pressure we were getting from Warner Brothers, which was we need our MCU. We need our MCU. And I was like, let's not run before we walk. The other thing that was difficult at the time was there was this revolving door of executives at Warner Brothers in D.C. Every 18 months, someone new would come in. We were just getting whiplash. Every new person was like, we're going to go bigger. I remember at one point, the person running Warner Brothers at the time had this release that pitched the next 20 movies over the next 10 years. I actually remember this, uh, but none of them had been written yet. It was crazy how much architecture was being built on air. That is not how you build a house. Now, this is kind. This kind of confirms things that uh, we have heard separately from other sources, but also just speculation, as the three of us have, having worked worked in the industry for a little bit. Um, but gentlemen, what do you think? Guillermo del Toro was going to do Star Wars, and David Goyer was like, "This is not how you build a house." Johnny, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I got to be the turd in the punch bowl here. I know there were nerdgasms all over the world when this was announced or revealed the other day. And I'm like, 
okay, a hit and miss filmmaker with a hit and miss writer doing Star Wars. I'm not necessarily excited by it. Look, I love Guillermo del Toro. And as a Latino, my job is to elevate Guillermo del Toro every opportunity I get. But as an analyst, as a member of the Geek Buddies, it's also to deliver my honest opinion. And Guillermo doesn't always do great work. I mean, Crimson Peak is a piece of trash. I hated Pacific Rim in those films. But, you know, but I love Shape of Water and I love um, a Kronos and I loved Pan's Labyrinth. So there are things that he does. Wait, that was him, right? Guillermo del Toro, Pan's Labyrinth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are yeah. things that he does that I get some confused sometimes. And there are things that he does that I really supremely love and enjoy and dive into. And as a person, he's one of the most genuinely awesome, warm, loving, caring, funny dudes uh, that you'll ever have any kind of contact with. And so I, I would be interested to see what he would do with a Star Wars film. But with David S. Goyer, man, I'll never forgive him for Blade Trinity. And I'll always have issues with some of the stuff that he writes and some of the stuff that he works on. I wasn't the biggest fan of the Constantine series. I prefer the Constantine movie. I know he produced and created, uh, you know, off of the source material, the Sandman stuff, which I thought was incredible. But as a writer, he's always hit or miss for me. So I don't know necessarily that they would have created this incredible Star Wars movie. It might have been another one of these middling ones or another one that like really was just kind of like you're confounded by why they made these kinds of decisions. So for me, although it was, it's nice that they could have come together to do this. Just think he wrote Batman V Superman. Krypton was okay. I like his Terminator Dark Fate. I know a lot of people don't. I liked his Man of Steel. I know a lot of people don't. So, I mean, there, there's just a lot of, uh, it's not necessarily like two hit makers, two hit coming together and oh my God, you know? So for me overall, that was my reaction there. And I haven't seen foundation, so I can't judge him on his most current project. But the other thing, no surprise. I mean, of course, everybody could tell that they were trying to run before they walked. And I'm sure every creator's like, slow the fuck down. But this is the problem sometimes with executives. And certainly the strike is exposing this. Some executives, not all, but certainly the strike is exposing this, is that they put unrealistic timetables and think they can just shove a writer in here and shove a director in here and shove an actor in here and it's going to work out. And clearly it doesn't. So it's got to have that special mix and special formula so I like that Goyer was able to openly talk about it. By the way, I think Goyer came off really well in this interview, by the way. Even though I may think he said or miss, I thought he was really cool and, and down to earth and spoke honestly about the stuff. So, you know, I'd be open for it. I wouldn't necessarily think it's going to be great. though. That's what Mikey? I mean, yeah, I don't even think the... I mean, the conversation about whether this movie would be great or not is a... Who cares? It's not happening. But I think what's in, but I, but I agree with you, but I agree with you that I think that he came off really well in the interview. And I Mm. think he was very honest. And I think what he's talking about more than being like, oh, isn't it a shame we didn't get this movie? Cause like that movie could have been a piece of shit. It could have been good. Who will never know. But I think what's interesting is sort of the, the window into both Lucasfilm and DC that we get through what he said. I mean, like, look, I am just assuming, and I think, I think I'm right here, and I think most people have sussed this out, but Guillermo del Toro confirming and saying there's a J and a BB, like, they were making a Jabba the Hutt movie. Yep. Like, they're making a Jabba the Hutt movie. And when you look at what happened with Book of Boba Fett, it's clear that, like, we, you know, scum and villainy, bounty hunters, that part of Star Star Wars, like, sure, like, that makes sense. Jabba the Hutt is... Beloved, except when he is uh, a really shitty CG addition to A New Hope. Um, And so, like, but again, it gets to the exact same discussion we were having about Lando. It's just with Lucasfilm, you can see that there has just been this revolving door of top-tier talent. Like, Mm. a revolving revolving door of, like, the best of the best in the business – not being able to crack stuff and but they always circle around the same things like oh there's some bounty hunters and the mm. people love this stuff oh there's the origins of the jedi we should really do some of that stuff and so it's interesting to see where that was i i agree with john like i think david goyer is good when he's good and he's but yeah and and you never know like i think he his pedigree is you're solid Sometimes mm, your stuff didn't land because you made a good sometimes your stuff didn't land because you made bad choices. Sometimes your stuff didn't land because you had a crazy ass schedule and you had to get something out the door. Like, I don't know that I can blame him for the stuff that I think doesn't work or does work, but in general, when you look at the entirety of his career, like he's got a career that I think is respectable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But be, and and Guillermo del Toro is the same. I'm a hundred percent with John. I think when Guillermo del Toro is good, he's great, and when he's not good, he's not. So <laughs> you know, it's like this movie could have gone any which way. But I mm. think the I, seeing where they kind of circle around stuff is great. And with DC, it is absolutely the same thing. Like there's no surprises there, but it is just a. It's interesting that Hollywood will just never learn the lessons that they should learn. Like yeah. when you look at Marvel and everything we were talking about with the, uh, with, with Nita, Nita Costa and the, uh, the variety interview, like, look, Marvel might not be in the best shape right now, but getting where they got was all about patience. And mm-hmm. I think we said this before on the show, like for all the creativity they brought, for all of the nerd knowledge, for all the, this is how we do it in comics and we're going to do it here. The best thing they did was they picked a plan. They said, these are our phases. These are our things we're going to do. And they stuck to it and we stuck with them. And when Batman versus Superman came out, it was clear whether you like Batman versus Superman or not is immaterial. It was clear. They were like, shit. Let's try and jump a few hurdles and get to the Justice League stuff as fast as possible. And that's ultimately what shot them in the foot. Like I, as I am one of the people, not a spoiler for anybody that's been listening. I'm one of the people that's not a fan of Man of Steel. But had Man of Steel gone into a Man of Steel 2 and had a Ben Affleck Batman movie come out Mm. and then they met up. And then stuff happened. Like you have so many more opportunities to course correct. So saying, okay, like maybe man of steel was a little too dark. Superman didn't save people at the end. He just beat the shit out of Zod. Let's take this second movie and take some of those things that the fans said that we agree with. Let's make some adjustments and then let's do this really great thing for Ben Affleck. Like it, it is, it is exactly what they should do. And it's what executives will never learn. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Goyer, it, it it's so, you know, it's so difficult because sometimes you can't blame, the, like, at, at some point, the writer loses control of the project. I mean, a film is a director's medium. So you, as a writer, you take it so far, and then you're kind of, you're either there on the set sometimes, or you're, you're, you're replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but I do agree with you. I mean, like, as, as wonky as Blade Trinity was, I mean, he is the guy that wrote the first two. And, yeah. you know, that first Blade movie is what kind of kicked off. I mean, a lot of people credit X-Men, but does X-Men happen without Blade? I mean, you know, so Goyer has, as as Vogel said, this guy, this guy has a respectable career. I mean, he is, he ain't hurting for money right now. I have seen the first episode of Foundation and it's a good show, but it's a heady show. And you can tell like, oh, this is dense and you need to really dedicate some time, I think, to, to, you know, going through it. Del Toro during... Star Wars, sure. I mean, I would. I think I was probably more curious to see Del Toro's The Hobbit, um, because mm. I think one of the things that kind of hurt that series was Peter Jackson. Um, you didn't really get the sense that he really wanted to do it. Um, that <laughs> it was sort of a Del Toro. Uh, the schedules just didn't work out uh, because of delays, and somebody had to. Somebody had to direct these movies, and it ended up falling to Peter. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> was that Taika Waititi? It was stellar. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, they can't all be they can't all be McClung dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember that 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 uh, that uh, uh, release they were talking about, where they laid out these twenty movies. I mean, that's where they were talking about Green Lantern Corps. I mean, it was yeah. before Marvel started to do their their big release and i just remember it was like here's an orange tile this is aquaman here's a green tile this is green lantern core here's a silver and red tile here's the cyborg movie and like we haven't even gotten batman versus superman yet and then it was after that i think it was after that that uh marvel did their big uh big presentation at the el capitan here in hollywood where they introduced Chadwick Boseman as as Black Panther. I mean, it was just like, oh, that's that's how you do it. Um, and hopefully James Gunn and Peter Safran are going to correct that. But only yeah. one way to find out. Just wait and see. Yeah, it was a good window, as Michael said, to what goes on behind the scenes, you know, because fans are speculate anything. And, of course, I think what makes our show unique is – we're all in the business and, and Mike and Shannon, you guys are sometimes in those rooms in conversations with people. We know people who have made these decisions or we know people who have been involved in trying to get executives to make decisions on their projects. And so that gives us a unique window into this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's not as 
organized as you would think. It's not as clear as you would think, and it's not as, uh, you know, step-by-step -step logical as you might think. It's quite insane out there. And and uh, so I like that Goyer was willing to be open about all this kind of stuff without being judgmental or mean, which I think is a really tough thing to do. Uh, so I, You I know, like in a circus – when the clown car comes out and then the door opens and all and like 90 clowns come out and they all start running around in circles and they got like the, the water and the pies and they're just slipping and sliding and everyone's like freaking out. That's that. That's what, that's what, that's what those boardrooms are like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, on that note, I think we should end this episode of the geek buddies. Thank you all so much for joining us. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey. Well, you know, if you like geeking out about stuff, and we like geeking out about stuff, then you have found your home. Uh, and here's what you can do to help us keep geeking out about stuff. You can hit that like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, check out all the amazing and geeky content he has got there. Uh, leave your comments below. Let us know what you thought of everything this week. Are you excited about Marvels? Would you have been down for a Guillermo del Toro Goyer movie? What trailers are you up for? And most importantly, what are you geeking out about? Let everybody know down in the comments. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, leave us some stars and comments there so that we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. All right, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Have a great weekend. Don't forget that our spoiler review for the most recent episode of Ahsoka is up. If you haven't caught it yet to watch, uh, for those of you who have watched it, thanks so much. But watch it again. Why not? I mean, I feel and, like uh, they e knocked it out of the park. Get it? E knocked. E knocked it out of the park. Very nice. Very Thank nice. You. Thank you. Yikes. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. All right. Take care of yourselves. Be well. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.